it is. Okay, hi everybody. Welcome. We have some announcements that we're starting off with. So first, I am Kennedy Ezell. And I'm Eileen Pierce. And we are some of the college residents this year. And so speaking of the residency, we wanted to announce that applications are open for those who are about to graduate. Here's the barcode on the screen. So Eileen's going to tell you a little bit about what the residency is and what we get to do. Yes, um, the residency. First of all, how many of y'all have heard of the residency? Yes, okay, a good, good few of you. Um, yeah, the residency is just this year-long um, residency. We don't call it an internship because uh, we are treated as full staff um, here at this church. Um, it is a year where you can just kind of learn what it looks like to be serving in your local church. Um, Kennedy and I are here with you guys with the college ministry, um, but there are lots of different opportunities to be serving with the residency. So that can look like working with FSM. Um, that can look like working with worship, arts, uh, with media, um, with kids, things like that. Um, so there are lots of different um, just options for you to do if you're looking at wanting to serve for a year after college. Um, yeah, there are lots of cool things that we get to do during this year. Um, Kennedy can share a few of those. We both really like it. Yes. <laughs> so it's a yep. great thing. But yeah, if you are a senior, you're about to graduate and you just don't know what you're going to do, this is an awesome way to spend a year after graduation. It's going to be a year of growth in all different ways. So highly encourage it, but applications are out and interviews will start happening later on. So now we want to welcome up two special guys, Luke and Parker. They have just some ministry updates to give us on what's going on in the fraternities. Hey guys. Okay, so my name's Luke. This is Parker. And last spring, Parker had this idea to raise money um, from student ministries uh, to buy Bibles and put Bibles in fraternity houses. Um, the goal originally was, was one Bible uh, in each room in each house. And so he brought it to me and the idea to me and some other guys that meet together um, once a month um, to pray for fraternities and, and said, let's plan this. Let's get it, let's get it going. And so um, we wanted it to be student funded. Um, so we, we came here in the spring and then a couple guys went to C3, a couple guys went to Stumo. Um, we started funding it. And so Garland wanted us to come give y'all an update um, on what's been going on, how God's been working. And so I'm gonna let Parker talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, so very appreciative of y'all's giving. Um, we could have gone and asked adults who have a lot of money, um, but we asked you guys and we really appreciate um, not only your money, but your prayers. Um, these are the Bibles. I brought one from the Pike House um, and they're in every single fraternity house on campus and every single room, which is awesome. Um, they're all prayed over um, and they have names in them of people who prayed over them. Um, we actually got more money than we expected, and so we got to create bookmarks um, with scriptures for just life circumstances and ways for guys to go through it. Um, and the coolest thing is it's been a huge softball for the guys who are doing ministry in-house. Um, every house, almost every house, I think, has a Bible study going every week um, through pledgeship with um, members, with out-of-house members, um, and these Bibles have been an amazing opportunity to use that. Um, so we really appreciate you guys um, to continue to pray for us, um, and also super grateful for this. Thank you all. All right, I'm gonna pray for us real quick and then we'll get started with worship. 
Dear Lord, we are thankful for you. Um, Lord, thank you for just who you are and letting us gather here today to worship you. Lord, I pray that we would leave tonight loving you more and loving your word more. Lord, I just pray that you would grow convictions in our heart that make us desire you more and more. We love you and I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Good evening, Fellowship College. My name's Ryan Burton, I'm a worship pastor here. I haven't gotten the chance to meet you. I'd like to do that. Um, before we get started with worship, I'll share a little bit of my story. I, I updated you guys, gosh, it's been weeks ago at this point, but um, my wife, Chelsea, um, we found out had a congenital heart disorder when she was pregnant with her second daughter. And long story short, uh, she had open heart surgery about six weeks ago now, and Thank you all for praying for her. Um, heart surgery went um, really well without any complications or anything, and she's uh, just about fully recovered. But um, about two weeks after the surgery, as she's still healing, we went in for a checkup, and we were told that the patch um, that they put, she's got a hole in her heart, the, the patch that they put um, to seal up that hole, um, a suture had popped. And so the, the hole has reopened. Obviously not the news that we wanted. Um, so we're still very much in the midst of all of this. So we're trying to figure it out. And we were in Little Rock last week for some follow-ups and um, we'll get a plan moving forward soon. The reason I share this story, besides just thanking you all for praying for us and continuing to do so, um, is I've seen something really clear in the Father throughout this whole year. Uh, here in a second, Tad is going to um, teach us about the Bible. We're going to reconstruct the Bible. And early this year, and I think this is the sovereignty of God at work here. I felt called to read the Old Testament from front to back. It's the first time I've ever done that, just kind of read the Old Testament straight through. Didn't know why, but felt called to do that. So I started doing that. I'm still trekking forward. Um, ain't going to finish up in, at the end of December. But I think the reason God had me read the Old Testament is that the theme that keeps sticking out to me throughout like literally every chapter of every book is God's faithfulness. We see it over and over again as the Israelites see his power and his glory uh, and then they follow him for a second and then they start following, worshiping other idols or running to other things, you know, abandon Yahweh. But yet God remains faithful because he's a covenant keeper. He's a promise keeper. And that faithfulness that I've seen time and time again throughout reading this year has given me such confidence and trust. And, and there's been times of doubt that I've had over this year as we just feels like we keep getting punched in the face with new stuff. But yet God keeps reminding me that he's good and he's faithful. And I see that so clearly too. The book of Deuteronomy, when Moses is, is speaking to the Israelites and to Joshua and God tells Moses he's not going to make it to the promised land, but that the Israelites will, and he's going to keep that promise. And Moses is encouraging Joshua and the 
the rest of the nation of Israel, and, and he knows that they're going to come in contact with these other nations that are going to be bigger and stronger than them. He knows they're going to be fearful when they do. And so he says this to them. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. That's true for us just as much as it was for the nation of Israel. And so it's, it's in that that we know God is with us. He will not forsake us. He's a promise keeper. It's through that that we can worship him in confidence this evening. And so let's do that. Let's stand together. Let's sing praises to the king tonight. Great is your faith. 
deserves praise. great news and that truth that we can stand and we can proclaim your goodness and your grace for us. So God, as, as we learn more about your word this evening, would you open our eyes, would you fix them on your son Jesus, our 
perfecter of our faith. May we see things in a new light this evening. It's in your son's precious name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, good evening. My name's Tad. I serve on staff here with the student ministry, and so I know a handful of y'all that serve with cell groups or maybe have grown up in FSM, and uh, it's really exciting. I always love getting to come and worship with the college ministry, and I'm excited to, to join y'all in this series y'all have been doing called Reconstructing Your Faith. Uh, and, and tonight, we're gonna consider the Bible. Uh, how many of you have one of these with you? Or, or own one or have an app on your phone that has it? How many of you feel like 1,000% confident you know how to use it? Awesome. <laughs> I think that's the, the place that most of us start off with this, and, and it's, it's okay. Uh, we're gonna try to consider tonight, just uh, let's deconstruct a little bit of some of our paradigms that we have about the Bible, and then we'll wanna reconsider and kind of maybe lay a foundation that you can leave with and go and reconstruct a better, uh, more vibrant view of God's word. Uh, and so, uh, most of us, I think, when we pick up this book, we treat it like something, uh, like one of these items. There we go. There's like a magic eight ball that you shake, uh, you wake up in the morning, you crack it open, you kind of at random, and you're hoping it'll give you an answer for something you're going through. And most often it probably says, try again. Uh, maybe you treat it like a fortune cookie. Um, it doesn't taste very good to you. You don't really love it. But every now and then, occasionally, you'll crack one open, hoping it'll give you some sort of proverbial insight or direction for your life. Uh, maybe some of you get really excited about the numbers on the back, and you're trying to like decode when the world's going to end or something like that, right? You see people treat the Bible like this, like a fortune cookie. Um, many of you maybe treat it like a map or a cookbook, and you're hoping to find directions, instructions to have a happy, successful life, uh, and you're... And you're you look through it, you really engage with it deeply, but you don't really know where it's from, uh, and it sometimes lands you in weird places, and you kind of wonder, should I have used Apple Maps or Google Maps, uh, because they're different, you know? Uh, and so which translation would have been better? Had I gone with that, would I have gotten an answer for that question? Uh, it doesn't give me the right recipe. Some of us feel a lot of apprehension towards the Bible, because we've seen it be weaponized by people. Uh, even in recent history, God's word has been taken and misconstrued and used by extreme groups um, to oppress people. Or you view it like chains and it's binding you and it feels oppressive with all its rules uh, and it makes you feel like you're stuck and you're worthless. And maybe some people that have, um, you're coming here and you're, you're a skeptic and you're not really sure what you believe and you've got a bad experience with church uh, or people misusing this and giving a false view of it and you're, you're just kind of tired of it and you're not really sure well, I want us to look through some of those things and, and reconstruct a better view of Scripture. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to be able to do that, so I'm gonna hopefully leave you with a lot of resources. I think even tonight, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the, the preview. This is gonna hopefully encourage you to go out and do some work on your own. I can't rebuild a perfect view of the Bible for you in 30 minutes. And yet, hopefully, you'll get interested and intrigued by God's Word and be willing to maybe have a fresh start and go and try to build something back that's better. Um, we're gonna be looking at a passage uh, in 2 Timothy. This is probably a familiar passage, maybe if, if you've been trying or memorized scripture or heard other people point to this. Um, this is something that uh, was written in the first century by a man named Paul, who is a, one of the early church leaders. And he wrote it to one of his kind of mentees or disciples who he had sent to Ephesus to help lead a church there. And he's trying to encourage him to keep the faith, but he 
mentions the scriptures, um, the, the collection of, of God's word that they would have had at that time. And he says, the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, maybe this is for you a familiar verse. It's one that I know I heard when I was younger a lot, like the, the idea of God's word being inspired and God breathed and he was in, invested in that whole process of how they collected it together. Um, but I've just been thinking about this passage over the last couple of weeks in preparation for tonight and just thinking through it more deeply and, and, and wanting to reconsider, do I have a good view of God's word in my life? And kind of where I've landed are kind of two categories and kind of two avenues that we're gonna take tonight when we look at this. Um, one that... that we need to reconstruct something that's rational and logical. We need to approach this book uh, with some reason and logic. And we can do that. Uh, we, we can look at the history of how it came together and, and have a really pretty rational understanding of it and how we got it. Uh, also, just that idea of it being God-breathed just feels kind of intimate and relational. And so we want to reconstruct something personal. Uh, maybe that's what you're hanging up with the Bibles right now. You just open, you don't really know what to do. And logically, you need to open up your mind a little bit and, and be trained to engage with this in a proper way. And that's gonna help you. Others, maybe you just feel like it's dead and it's like God's not speaking to you through it. And maybe just reassessing it will help you have a more of a deeper, intimate relationship with God through his word. And so that's kind of our two uh, avenues for tonight of reconstructing it rationally. We're gonna engage our brains. We're gonna think. We're gonna get a little heady and academic even. And then we're gonna... Get a little more relational and talk about how can we use this? How can we relate to it in a personal, vibrant way, all right? And so let's just pause. And as we're engaging with God's word and we believe that God speaks through this, let's just pause and pray and ask God that he would, he would teach us something. He would open our minds and he would open our hearts tonight. So bow your heads with me. God, thank you that we have your word. When I think about um, that, that each of us have so much access um, to this ancient collection of writings that people that have believed in you and trusted in you and have, have, have just loved you and, and recognized your love for us have collected this book together so that we can learn from it and be made wise for salvation in Christ. And so would you open our minds to just engage with it in a logical, reasonable way that we would be able to see how it came together and that we'd be interested in that and that we would wanna learn about the people that wrote it so we could better understand what they said about you. Do you also open our hearts so that we could actually have a relationship with you? And when we read this, it wouldn't just be words on a page, but it would be like we're sitting with you in person and learning from you as you teach us and train us and rebuke us even at times and correct our lives so that we can know you more deeply and love others um, more like you would. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, over this last year, something that's been really fun albeit nerdy, that me and my friends have done is we started a book club. Uh, and we, we were like just enough like pretentious uh, about it. We have a little name for our club, the Barrel and Leaf Society. Uh, Courtney Owens back here, she's in the, everybody wave at Courtney. Say, what's up, Courtney? Courtney's in our book club. She's a nerd too. Um, we started this book, book, book club, and we, and we always meet once a month. And this month we're reading A Gentleman in Moscow. Uh, I'm only a few chapters in. I think it's, anybody read this book? Anybody? Couple. All right, you like it? Was it good? Your favorite book? You want to come to our book club this month? You can hang out with us? You can tell us all about it. It'd be great. I'll, I'll find you afterwards. All right. <laughs> uh, so reading this book, I'm only a few chapters, and I really love it already. Like I think it might be, be, it might become one of my favorite books. But like every other page, I'm having to stop and pull out my phone and Google something because this book was set in 1920s Russia. 
the rise of the Bolsheviks, which I didn't know what that was. Uh, at the, like the beginning of kind of the USSR, Stalin's rising to power, and it's this man uh, who got caught up in this. He was an aristocrat, and I had no, I had no knowledge of Russia or its history. Um, and so there's, there's like references to things every other page that I don't understand that I'm having to look up, and it's giving me a deeper appreciation for it whenever I learn them. Uh, but prior to this, my like exposure to Russian culture uh, was driving through Branson and seeing the Yakov Smirnov sign. Anybody with me here? You seen the sign? Can I show you how much even more ignorant I'm gonna be whenever I realize today that Yakov's Ukrainian, not even Russian? Uh, and so I have no idea of the context that that book was written into. And it's forcing me to have to open my mind up and learn about another culture and appreciate it and think what would it have been like to live there? We need to treat the Bible like that and recognize that this book was composed and written and organized over uh, like two millennia by people that live on another side of the planet in a different time and place and culture. Not only do we need to learn about like a few decades of history, we have to learn about thousands of years of history to engage with it. That's a little overwhelming, right? But again, as simply as I can pull out my phone and look up something about the Bolsheviks, you can access tools. We have a lot of access to God's where we can do that. But I wanna to try to kind of scratch the tip of the iceberg and give you just a brief overview of what is the context that this Bible was written into? How did this document come together and get into our hands today in the English translation version that maybe you have or you can pull up on an app on your phone? How do we get there? Um, and so this is gonna get a little academic. Lean in with me. If you're a note taker, you're gonna get really caught up. So just snap a picture and come back to it and try to, try to listen, okay? Um, so we'll start off with what is the Old Testament? The Old Testament, I'm just gonna read this, all right? This is just kind of a summary that I put together. All right, the Old Testament is a collection of ancient Jewish sacred literature, originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, composed and organized over a span of more than a thousand years by Hebrew prophets in order to record the history of the descendants of Abraham and God's promise to bless the nations through them by a coming messianic king who would establish an everlasting kingdom of peace. That's my like back of the book version of the Old Testament for you, okay? Um, this collection of texts was written by a group of people over thousands of years, and they organized it together. And I've got this kind of timeline. This is actually something Garland showed me when I was like a freshman in college. And just saying like the, the timeline of the Old Testament can kind of break down in 500 year chunks. We start off with Abraham. Abraham was promised by God. He came to him and his wife, Sarah, and said, even though you're old, if you will trust me and, and believe in me, leave your homeland and travel across this land, I will give you a home. I will bless you with descendants and your descendants will grow into a, a, a numerous people group. And actually through your descendants, I'm gonna bless the entire world. We're gonna undo this thing called sin that's gotten God's creation all out of whack. And through your family, I'm going to fix that problem through this coming king. We follow that, uh, that history. Abraham has a son. He has a son. He has 12 sons. And then uh, that grows into the nation of Israel. And they're remembering and reminding each other these promises that were given to their ancestors. And they're writing down these things. Uh, we land about 500 years later, a man named Moses. At this point, the nation of Israel is in Egypt. They've been enslaved by the Pharaoh, uh, and they're an oppressed people group. And they're remembering back, again, probably maybe even having some of these writings in little parchments, remembering the promises of God, telling each other. And some of them are thinking, we should write this down. Moses comes along 
leads the people out of Egypt. God works miraculous signs that they write down. And around that time comes together the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, as they're writing down these things. And as God is forming this people group called Israel and and wanting them to be his covenant people by which he's gonna bless the rest of the nations of the world and he gives them certain rules to live by. That's what we see whenever we're reading like Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Numbers, this history of these people. This comes together, and then over the next probably 500 years, the nation of Israel is freed out of Egypt. They go up into the land of Canaan, and they, and they conquer it, and they take it over, uh, although it's a really messy process, and they're not really all being all that faithful to God. A man named David comes along, becomes king, grows their, uh, their nation to influence and, and prestige and wealth, and, and God actually promises to David through your lineage. So now, specifically in your part, your branch of the family of Abraham, Through you is gonna come this everlasting king who's gonna bring about peace. So he's writing things down, even throughout this time, writing down poetry, reflecting on the ways that God loves their people. And they're collecting uh, these different scrolls of writings. But the people were unfaithful to the covenant. They did not remember God's word. They didn't keep it sacred. They didn't remind themselves of the covenant. And because of that, um, certain men and women came along called prophets, had just a unique connection with God. And through them, they're writing down warnings to the people of Israel and even some of the nations around them. We see that in a lot of the prophetic books. Hey, remember God's covenant or we're gonna get, we're gonna get punished. God's gonna have to, to, to uh, discipline us in order to bring us back into to be his covenant people. And in fact, they do go into exile. Uh, around the year 586 BC, uh, the whole nation of Israel has been removed out of the land. And yet some of them, Remember God's promises. Some of them continued to read and reflect on these words and continued to collect and preserve this writing. And eventually, when they come back into the land, uh, when the exile is over, uh, actually under a lot of the leadership of a man named Ezra and a few other uh, leaders in Israel, they collect together all of these writings. And many scholars believe that around 500 BC is whenever this final thing that we have called the Old Testament kind of reached its final conclusion of its organization as they were looking back and reflecting on their thousands of years of history and realizing God has been faithful to us even though we haven't been faithful to him and yet he made this promise that we still haven't seen this messianic figure come and we believe that if we remain faithful to the covenant it will come about and they're keeping these writings is very important and reflecting on them, holding it sacred. And we actually believe that whole idea of it being God breathed that throughout that entire thousands of years process God was uniquely inspiring uh, these people to gather these texts together, to write down specific things that he said or reflect on their history. And that for millennia, they thought that this was important and worth preserving. But around the turn of uh, the the millennia, around zero BC and the the new, how do you call that? It's not necessarily a millennia, era, new era. um, There still hasn't been this messianic figure, come. And there's kind of this cliffhanger ending to the Old Testament. And yet God has been faithful, so they sincerely believe that he's gonna bring about because they're reading this story and this collection of of writings. So then now we get to the New Testament. What is the New Testament? Well, the New Testament is a a collection. We'll just read this again, all right? Here we go. Round two. The New Testament is a collection of the apostles' teachings composed and organized over a span of roughly 50 years detailing how they thought Jesus of Nazareth, this historical figure, was in fact the promised Messiah of Israel and the true king of the entire world. And how the unified multi-ethnic church was empowered by God's spirit to take this good news, this gospel, this message out to the nations and expand that blessing until God would come and finally consummate all of creation back to himself. 
And so we get this timeline here that, that Jesus is born. He, he goes to the cross. He raises from the dead. He reveals himself to hundreds of his followers, and they believe that he was the resurrected Messiah, that, that actually he checked all the boxes of this prophetic figure that the Old Testament talked about. And in that same kind of tradition of gathering writings, as the apostles of Jesus, uh, the, the people who had up-close personal relationships with him or the people who knew those people began to write down accounts of his life. That's where we see the Gospels uh, and, and the, the history of Acts, which details the history of the church beginning to form. Uh, and they even, as these churches are popping up all around the Roman Empire at that time of the, the, in history, um, some of the church members are like, hey, these letters that Paul the Apostle's writing us, they really help detail a lot of the theology that we're believing. They actually teach us about some of the Old Testament that we're, we maybe had, they maybe had access to some of those writings. And even some of the New Testament letters were shedding new light on some of these old writings. They're like, we should write this down. We should preserve these writings for future generations so that they can um, learn from them as well. And so they do that. They're copying it down, preserving the text over centuries. And by around 500 AD or CE, whatever you wanna call it, um, uh, around hundreds of translations of these letters have been spread around the world. By around a thousand, a year a thousand, we get the first English translation fully composed and written down. And now we have that today because faithful men and women of God have continued to preserve God's written word and these detailed accounts from his previous followers and believe that it will teach something to the generations of the church. Y'all tracking with me? This makes sense. This is actually a very human process, right? Like it, it makes sense. It's like these people thought these writings were important, and so they copied them down. Here's the cool thing, and, and I'll kind of, again, I'll maybe scratch an edge, and I'll point you in directions where you can learn more about this. The, the accuracy of the manuscripts that they have is unparalleled by just about any other historical writing that we have. And in fact, there's so many, there's thousands of transcripts of the, the New Testament writings that they're able to look at all of those and when they find inconsistencies, they're able to say, okay, well then maybe that was different. How did that come about different? Here we can go back and trace what was the most original manuscript like and the, the plurality of the amount of manuscripts that we have, actually there's a science to this of uh, being able to see this is probably what the original letter that Paul wrote said and it's credible, it's reliable because there's so many copies made of this that we can go back and as archaeological uh, finds are made and they find more manuscripts, they're able to then verify. And this whole process of making sure that we have a reliable account of these writings um, is actually really fascinating. And it's logical that what you have today is a pretty good translation of what was originally written. And we actually, again, that idea of it being God-breathed, believe that even through that whole process, God is still at work making sure that we have a reliable um, text to read and, and engage with God. It's both very human and also very divine that God's spirit is all through this. Maybe some of your, your minds are spinning a little bit. I know mine is whenever I'm like, when I look at this and I think about it. Um, but what, I, what I find fascinating about just thinking about this process and learning it is, is how it totally blows out of the water the view that I thought I had like growing up. And even though I grew up around church, in my mind, this is what happened. There was just some old dude sitting in a tent in the desert and this like floaty cloud thing hovered above his head and he kind of went like robot mode all of a sudden and just as words came into his mind, he wrote them down and, and that's what we have, right? Does anybody think that? Anybody raise your hand if that's kind of the idea in your head that you had of the Bible? All right, cool, I'm not alone. It's so much more like real than that. The people that wrote it down had real lives. 
personalities. They had their, their uh, families and friends and, and their own disappointments. I, I think about the Jews that were preserving this, these texts throughout the exile and wondering, has God abandoned us? They have their own doubts. They're people just like us. I think it's really arrogant sometimes when I look at some of the, the accusations made against the scriptures is in, our, in our modern culture, that this is like an archaic, outdated uh, way of thinking. And frankly, I think that we're arrogant when we, when we think that, that somehow because we live in the year 2021, that we are more intelligent just naturally than people who lived uh, in 100 BC. They had the same types of problems and, and personalities and emotions that we had. They were looking at their circumstances and trying to make sense of it and reflecting on these same texts and trying to make sense of their world and connect with God. It's very human. And yet again, there's something, it's not just a human book because when you consider how hundreds of, uh, of years went by and multiple people across at least three continents as this book coming together, and the fact that it's as uniform as it is and it seems to all drive towards this unified vision of this messianic figure who would come along, it's kind of breathtaking. And you're like, maybe, maybe there's something beyond this. Maybe God really is breathing through this whole process and spiritually guiding these men and women who are collecting these texts because he wants to communicate with us through this book. It's not ordinary. I think uh, as you engage with that, again, we're getting kind of heady, we'll, we'll, we'll move on, but um, my encouragement to you would be to ask questions, to think deeply and open up your mind to think logically about this book. It didn't just drop out of the heavens and someone found it and started sending it around. Like It had a history as it came together. And so ask good questions. Some of you have done that um, and you send in questions um, to the, the Google form. And if you have questions, you can still use this QR code. If you have questions about the Bible, the college team would love to meet with you. I'd love to meet with you and meet you. I'd love to connect you with other men and women in our church who are, are really, really smart about the Bible and could teach you way more than I could and just sit down with them and ask them your questions. But here are two that, that came up that I, I just thought, these are examples of good questions. What about when the Bible contradicts itself? It's a great question. I tell you that I've asked that question too. And I don't think that it's helpful whenever people are like, well, it's the inerrant word of God. There's no contradictions, period. It's like, well, I saw something that looked like what I would call a contradiction and I'm confused. It's okay to ask that question, all right? And, and can I tell you, it, it's all right to ask that question. Whenever I was in college, I, I hit this point where I, um, I was terrified as I was trying to follow Jesus. I was trying to share the gospel with my friends and my classes and my fraternity. And, and I was just trying to live a faithful life, but struggling, just like many of you probably are. But I had this fear come over me one day. Where I was like, man, if somebody asked me, like, Tad, have you even read this whole Bible? Have you even read it? You say you believe it. Have you even finished it? I'd have been like, No. And that like, just like, really scared me of like, they're, just gonna, they're gonna discredit me just because I haven't even read this. And so I just, I said I was gonna read through the whole thing. And so I just sat in my little dorm in Humphreys and I'm like reading it and I'm, and I'm trying, I've got all these questions. And, and the last book that I read, I was finally gonna be able to check it off that I finished the whole Bible was Acts. And like I get a few chapters in and all of a sudden you're reading about Judas, that guy that betrayed Jesus and it describes the way he died. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I thought, and I flipped back to Matthew, and it actually gives like a, like a slightly different version of the way that Judas died. And, and for me, uh, as like a 19-year-old freshman in college, that was like a big deal. I was like, I don't even know if I can believe this anymore because I don't know how Judas died, which now looking back, I'm like, that feels kind of trivial. Um, but I called 
I called somebody, I looked it up online, I called Garland and we sat down and we talked about it. It's actually a pretty reasonable answer to that. I'm not gonna dive into it for time's sake, but if you're interested in that and that's been a contradiction that you would like to talk about, come find me. Um, there's usually a good answer and what we look at and consider to be a contradiction, if we would just open our mind and think logically and engage it and, and ask questions and get around community and, and consider and meditate on God's word together, we'd probably reach some good answers. It would be really foolish and illogical to look at that and think, you know what? That doesn't make sense, so I'm just gonna toss this thing. And I'm gonna go live however I want to. That's not a very rational way of thinking, is it? And so ask good questions. Um, hey, another good question, or I'm gonna point you to a couple of resources. Here we go. Um, so when you, have, when you come, against, come up against those, some resources that I have found really helpful, you can snap a picture of this, um, but I would just point you in this direction. These are some tools that you can use. And so the Bible Project, if you know me, you know that I talk about the Bible Project way too much. I think it's an awesome resource. It's free. And they have like cartoon videos that help to explain stuff. And so my like very childish mind, that's awesome. And so maybe you're like me and you like pictures. They've got a great series on how to read the Bible. It's 19 videos. They're like six minutes each. That's like less than two hours. And you're, if you think, I don't have the time to learn about the Bible, to engage with this, to learn about cultures. Yes, you do. You have two hours. That's two episodes of Stranger Things. You can do this. Uh, 412 Institute, stick around in Fayetteville over the summer. Knock out a couple classes uh, early at the UVA over summer and, and do the 412 Institute. Dive into the word. Um, spend a summer doing something like that or a different campus ministry summer project. Um, the Out of Curiosity podcast is really helpful um, that some people at our church have put together. Panorama is a, a class on the Bible that gives you just a, a broad stroke overview of the entire narrative and piecing together some important themes. That totally unlocked the Bible for me as a college student. Take that class, you can find the videos on YouTube or you can wait until we do it in the classroom on Sunday mornings. Um, here's a couple apps that I found helpful. Sometimes it's really helpful to just hear the Bible read rather than reading it and, and to, to intake it that way. So download the Dwell, audio, uh, the Dwell audio Bible app, there it was. Uh, Burton showed me that one and I found it so helpful. Uh, the Lexio 365 devotional app, if you just need some help in your quiet times or, or thinking through that, engage in this. Dave showed me that one, I'll point to you too. So also pick up that theme. You don't do this alone. Like ask your friends, ask your pastors, ask people to help you get in community and that will help you. you know, can I show you one of your biggest tools? Just to drive on that point, your biggest tool um, is this guy. He's just a tool, he's a giant tool. I'm a tool. Where is he? No, but really, Al, I'll be nice to you now. Hey, whenever I was, when I was a college student, find somebody in your life like Garland who's just like a huge Bible nerd and willing and, and, and to sit down and process your doubts and questions and not make you feel stupid uh, for having questions about the Bible. Find somebody like that that you can ask. Um, the whole college team is wonderful. I'm sure that Josh and Ryan and Eileen and Kingsley and, um, and Burton would love to help you. And so, or Kennedy, I say Kingsley. That's your sister's name. I'm sorry, what's up? Kingsley would probably love to talk to you about the Bible too, though, am I right? She'd love that. She's pretty smart too. All right, let's move on. Um, hey, that other question, uh, how do we know that we can trust the Hebrew Bible, that it was translated correctly? I'll give you a quick brief overview and then we're gonna try to wrap this thing up um, on, on the relational side or wrap up the, the, the rational thinking side. Um, hit that next slide. If, uh, if you have a Bible translation and you're wondering, how did I get this? Uh, again, you can look it up. Most of your Bibles will probably, hit this, the section that you don't read that's got all that little tiny text at the front usually will tell you how your Bible was translated. I thought this was just a helpful kind of like continuum thing. I'm just seeing like some English translations, like let's just be honest, whenever they take the Hebrew or the Aramaic or the Greek questions or the Greek text, they have to translate that into a, a, a version of English that fits our own context because language evolves over time. And so um, 
Think through um, your translation and find one that is trustworthy because there's a lot of great translations out there. There's also some that are not so great. Um, Consider how it was translated. Some go by like a word-by-word translation, and as they see a word in Hebrew, they're like, what is the closest English word to that? Slap it here. Uh, let's do this. That's really helpful. If you wanna understand what were the Hebrew words or the Greek words or Aramaic words that were being used at the time, that can be a great translation. You see like NASB or ESV and our linear Bibles. The other side, they will take like a whole sentence or paragraph, a thought, and say, hey, what is this saying And how do we best then translate and say that phrase in English? Does that make sense? Like the word versus the phrase. Um, Even the top ones, those are gonna be translated directly from the the manuscripts in Hebrew and Greek. Other translations, they're taking an older English translation and then they're updating the language. And so like the ESV is one of those. It took um, the RSV Bible, which was translated from Hebrew. So it's now twice removed from the original text. And so figure out what's important to you. Again, can I just give you a tip? Use different. Um, that's something that me and um, some of the guys in my community group have, have done as we've been reading through just books of the Bible of just, hey, let's read Colossians over the next couple of weeks. And I'll just wake up in the morning and I'll like read it in ESV. The next day I'll read it, um, or the next other day, in NIV or when I pick it up, pick a different translation and consider the, the, the thoughts there. And so utilize a good translation. Um, and so wrap this up. If we wanna reconstruct rationally, I think it just requires us opening our minds. If we, if we close off our mind and just think this is an old, outdated, archaic piece of literature that has no impact on my life, that's a really closed-minded, closed-minded way to think. Ask some questions and be willing to live in the tension a little bit of like, hey, let me consider how this book is divine and that God speaks through it. And he's supernaturally overseeing the whole process that it came together in order to communicate with me. At the same time, it's very human. And I need to put in some work to learn about the culture and the context of the, the people who wrote it so that I can better understand why they said that about God at that time in history. Make sense? And in some ways, it's very simple. You just open it, read some of the Proverbs, and it's got very simple wisdom. Other times, it's kind of mysterious. And you gotta live in the tension of that. I don't fully understand. I need to chew on that one for a little bit. And in some ways, the, the verses are there to comfort you and remind you that God loves you. Other times, he's gonna make commands and demands on your life and tell you this is what I expect as a person created in my image as it follows me. And so live in the tension of that and open your mind up as you engage with it rationally. Um, but we also wanna consider and... and, and Engage with the, the, the text relationally and consider how do, we, how do we know God through this? How can we re- reconstruct and have a relationship with God through his word? Um, this might feel like a weird question, so go with me here. We're gonna kind of take a, a side scenic route and then we're gonna come back to the text here, right? What do you think is the most powerful of your five senses? Your sight, your touch, taste, smell. Some of you are like, what are the five senses again? What do you think is the most powerful? Uh, the reason I ask is because all throughout the scriptures, again, as some of these uh, texts are being written and they're even reflecting back on things that have previously been written, they'll use these rich metaphors. Um, metaphors are when you describe something um, as something it's not in order to help your mind understand it. In English majors in the room, similes, it's like a flower or like this. Um, they engage the senses in a way that I think just builds like an intimacy. And so some of the kind of famous ones um, you'll see in, in James, he, he likens the word of God to a mirror. It says, when you look into the word of God, it's like looking at your face in a mirror. And it'd be foolish to see your, your face all out of, disor- all disordered and, and then leave and forget to, to fix that or fix your hair, you know? And so it's like a mirror. And sometimes when you look in it, you're gonna see things and imperfections in yourself and then try to modify, and how can I come back into into, into line with what I see here? It's like a light, it's using the eyes, it's like a light to your feet, it's giving you direction and guidance, it's like a lamp into my feet, 
guiding my way. Uh, other writers in the Bible, they use like food and taste metaphors. Uh, Peter and Paul both, um, they, they instructed the young churches, hey, y'all are, y'all are engaging this like it's still milk, like you're infants, you're barely getting into it. You need to grow up and mature and learn about this and engage your mind so that you can chew on the deep truths of this and get into the meat of it and, and learn it and taste it and, and devour it and know it. Mature in your faith. Other writers like the Psalms will say that it's like honey to the taste. God's word is, is so delightful and fills us with joy. It's like honey. It's desirable. But what's our most powerful sense? What's the one that really just beats all the others out? I would go so far as to say it's your nose. It's your smell. Everybody take a, just a deep breath in through your nose real quick. Hopefully you're sitting by somebody that's wearing a cologne, right? Smell is a fascinating sense. Go, go with me here, right? Think about this. Smell is a fascinating thing. It is so, it is so uh, when it registers the sense of smell in your mind, it is so closely related to parts of your brain that, that store reactive, um, kind of like reactionary um, actions. Reactionary actions, what am I saying? It guides your behaviors. When you smell something bad, you recoil. You're like, I don't want that. Give me away from that. It can be disgusting. Um, as a new dad, I've got a one-year-old son. I thought it would be the diapers that killed me, uh, smell-wise. It's not. It's like the picking up a bottle to see if it's still fresh, and then you take the cap off and you smell. It makes me want to throw up every time. It, it, like, there's nothing like smell that can really drive your, your just bodily reactions and you react to it. On the other hand, good aromas, they also drive our behavior. We smell something good. We lean in. We want to eat it. We want to find out what tastes good. We use smells to comfort us. I know all of y'all are buying pumpkin candles right now or evergreen candles that are getting close to the holidays. It's a sense of comfort. It maybe even is like a relational, like you think of someone that you know and, and that special someone when you snuggle up next to them and you smell their, their perfume and it, and it creates this sense of uh, comfort and I know them. Uh, the smell drives our behavior and it can be a really intimate sense. It also... Smell unlocks memories for us. It engages parts of our mind that get locked in. If, I don't know if it's the smell of like a pie that's cooking or like a perfume that reminds you of your sweet grandma or like puppy's breath and it reminds me when you got your first dog. It's like, oh, I remember my puppy. Or that smell of fresh cut grass that takes you back to summertime when you were a kid or back to the football field. You remember practice early in the morning or just cracking open a tub of Play-Doh and you're like, I'm in kindergarten again, Right? Smell is a powerful sense. It unlocks memory. It drives our behavior. Think about this, the wording of that verse that we looked at in 2 Timothy, that the word of God is God-breathed. And this reminds me of another passage. Again, as we read the text, oftentimes we engage with it. It's gonna remind us of previous passages as they continue these thought processes. That idea of God-breathing ought to remind us as, a, as, a, as an engaged Bible reader to remember the first few pages where God is creating the world and he formed man out of the dust. It says he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Breath is often used to describe God's spirit, his presence. And isn't that intimate that God got down and he breathed into him life? And I think that God wants to do the same thing for us still through his word. 
that it's God-breathed. His spirit is present in, in the way that this book has been brought together. And when we sit in it, we, we, we deeply inhale the aroma of God and we remember it ought to drive our actions, that it, it ought to drive our behavior when we recognize things now as sin and it begins to have a, a displeasing odor and we want to get away from it. And other things in like righteousness and humility and generosity, these virtues of God that it smells pleasing and we want to draw close to it. It's intimate. It unlocks, I think, just that deep-seated, almost just human innate memory that we're created in God's image and we're meant for relationship with him. And when we spend time in the word, we find ourselves, we just sang those songs, I am who you say I am. When we engage with God's word, just like Ryan said, we, we realize in the Old Testament, God is so faithful. And when we look at the New Testament, we see how Christ brought all that together and now has included all of us into what he's doing and we realize this is who I am, and I now it's like I'm remembering because I'm spending time in the breath of God. You want that kind of relationship with God. And so, in closing, that idea of we reconstruct relationally, it's gonna require an open heart. That you would say, God, whenever I engage with this word, I'm gonna open up my soul to you. And if there are things in me that need to be taught how to be better, how to be more like you, would you teach me? If I need to be rebuked, would you correct me? These, this calling on my life to be a blessing for other people, would you train me how to do that? Would you equip me to go out and be a human being in your image that takes blessing into the nations as you've called us to do? Would you recognize the smell of God's breath? Have you been in that kind of close proximity to him through his word? And so, again, it was far too short a time to get into all the weeds of that, but I hope that you will go out from here and that you will engage your minds. You say, God, can I just doubt some of my doubts and open up my mind to consider that this word is trustworthy and you wanna teach me something through it? Would you also open up your heart and let God speak life into you and empower you to go be the person he's made you to be. And pray for us, and then we're gonna spend time, we're gonna sing some songs, and I challenge you, notice the words of the songs. Many of them come directly from the scriptures. That's why we sing them together. It forms us spiritually. So think about that. Father, thank you for your word. It blows my mind that, that we have access like we do to your word, and many people in the world don't. So would we not take that for granted would we not make excuses to not open up your word, but would we be drawn to it? It would be a pleasing fragrance to us because it's you and you're a creator and you love us more than anyone possibly ever could. So would we be willing to spend time in your presence that you speak life and identity and correction into us so that we can be the men and women you've called us to be? God, we need your help in that. We need your presence with us and ultimately, I'm just thankful that we have Jesus. We have the written word with us, but he was the living word. And he made this possible by his death and resurrection to free us from the bondage of sin. And so would we not take that lightly and would we wanna learn as much about you as we possibly can? And so we pray all of that in Christ's name, amen.
We get to celebrate that truth that uh, our God is a God who chases us in His grace and His mercy. We get to celebrate that with seeing life change and how the Lord works to change lives yet again through uh, this picture of baptism, an outward symbol of what Jesus has done internally and an identification that Jesus is my King and I'm following Him the rest of my days. And we have Bella here. We're so proud of you, so happy to get to celebrate this with you. And her dad up from Dallas. So dad, take it away. So a little bit about Bella. Um, she grew up in a house where we loved the Lord. We talked about the Lord openly, uh, read the Bible, prayed. But there was always something that she felt disconnect, a disconnect between her and God, like many of us do, I think, at one point in our lives. So um, we would pray. She said, I just don't feel it, Dad. I don't feel it. So we would pray. And just, I just told her, like, you just have to keep asking God every day for that feeling, right? Uh, that emotion that you want to know that God is there no matter what. Um, so all of a sudden, you know, here comes a high school kid, a boy, and uh, ask her out on a date. And, and uh, not so tall in height, but a giant in, in faith. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was... He was committed in his faith. He was, uh, he was committed to being intentional in his faith. And, uh, and even though they moved on from dating, you know, he was, again, still intentional in the friendship and being a blessing to Bella in her life. Uh, 
unfortunately, I think I practiced this part about a hundred times today. Um, unfortunately, Tayden, he left. He left to be with the Lord in July. school so um, you know during his relationship with Bella he prayed he read the Bible he listened to worship music with her and that's what she needed to relate to somebody that was her same age and, and be able to understand like man what it's like to to be at such a young age and have a relationship with the Lord. So, you know, when Tatum passed, uh, it was amazing to see Bella to make a commitment to her faith, uh, to be intentional, you know, with it. And, uh, and here she is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been such a, an amazing for us as, as, as parents to, to see our daughter grow in the ways of the Lord as, you know, it, it, kept, it kept us. Did I do that? <laughs> and uh, it kept us away from a lot of bad stuff that we could have done and bad choices that we could have done. And, and it was so critical and important for me that, that Bella found God, you know, and walked with him because... Uh, it's a whole different kind of life, you know, uh, that you'll have. So um, she made that commitment, you know, to, to be better, to be a blessing to others, to be kind, to show love, to show that you're safe in her space and there's no judgment. And so that's the way she knew how to be intentional with it. And, and as a dad and as your mom that can't be here, but... We love you. We're very proud of you, and we can't wait to continue seeing you grow in the path of, of the Lord. So, and bless others, and be committed to that faith, and be intentional with it every day. We love you. Thanks for sharing, Dad. Um, how's the water? Is it good? It's good. Well, Bella, is it your story that Jesus is your King, and you want to follow Him all the rest of your life? Yes, sir. Good. <laughs> yes, sir.
us. God, we've been so blessed these past few weeks to see so many baptisms and the work that you're doing in the lives in this room. God, you humble us by your grace and your mercy. You humble us constantly. And so, Father, may we not forget what we see testimonies uh, that move us. Father, may, may they continue to move us. Uh, may we be reminded of your goodness in those. It's in your son's precious name. Well, church, um, as Tad said, we have so many good resources for you guys. If you continue to have questions, we want to talk to you about that. Come find myself, Josh Garland. Ladies, if you want to talk to Kennedy, Eileen. Um, we'd love to talk more um, about anything, um, and especially about the Bible, if you continue to have questions. We also have a quick resource in Out of Curiosity, the podcast there, so you want to check that out. Fellowship College, we love you guys. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.